Hi, everybody. I'm Kevin O'Donoghue, licensed mental health counselor. And I'm Nasima Diane Diemer, trauma specialist and licensed massage therapist. And this is The Positive Mind. Where we bring you some ideas, concepts, and guests to help you lead a more positively-minded life. And our guest last week is back, you know, because we wanted to bring her back, as we said last week, that love deserves a second show as well. Maybe a hundred shows. You know, when you think about it, most mental health issues or emotional issues or many personal issues are really around not having enough love in your life. Possibly love is the answer do they teach that in grad school? I doubt it. We're going to talk to our guest again, Brenda Shoshana, and we're going to read some of the letters that you sent us about last week's show. Brenda, you'll be excited to hear some of the responses from last week's show. We're here to talk to Brenda Shoshana, Dr. Brenda Shoshana, clinical psychologist, workshop presenter. She's presenting a workshop this week, also the day before Valentine's Day, appropriately, uh, from 1 to 2.30 at simplelawsoflove.com. You can get that at simplelawsoflove.com. Let's say hello to Brenda Shoshana. Dr. Shoshana, welcome back. Thank you. Thank you. Good to be here. Oh, uh, Let me just read one of the responders. We have a bunch here. Let me see. I really enjoyed Brenda Shoshana's take on love and zen. I was also impressed with Kevin talking about his client whose marriage failed but he still found the opportunity to see it through as a way of teaching him how to love. And Kevin helping the client to feel that as well. I had a similar experience in my 16-year marriage, which failed. I felt so betrayed and hurt, and then I found a Zen practitioner. And it helped so much. I realized, like Brenda says, there was an opportunity to love in everything and everyone. Thank you for sharing this show with us. Isn't that what we wanted last week? It's beautiful to hear. Yeah, it's really beautiful. Thank you. What a wonderful response and beautiful commenting about the essence of what we were really trying to talk about. And it's always great to hear someone who's lived that in their life and they can testify to it. Yes. You know, but he talks about a divorce and, and I'm wondering about betrayal. Let's let's go to the heart of this today. I, I, we did so much last week. I really want to focus in on a few things because as I read the book and as I saw, the book is called Zen and the Art of Falling in Love. I break the book down, and you tell me if I'm wrong, in, into like three main ideas. One is that we have monkey mind, this mind, restless mind that is running really from love, running away from love. And then we have the Zen portion of the book, which basically is a discipline and sitting still and not believing all your thoughts and identifying with your thoughts. And then there's the other part of the book is all love. It's all about and a repetition of Zen as a, a practice to prepare us for love and how to love. And then all of these beautiful, beautiful sentences reinforcing the idea that Love is not a feeling. Love is... Go ahead. You fill in that blank. Love uh, is... I'm loving listening to you. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. You know, it's, it's like an echo chamber. It's a beautiful feeling to hear it. Everything you said is like a little diamond drop. It's right on point. Yeah. You know, Zen practice is a very 
simple but intricate practice and yes exactly that's how i've always experienced it as we sit and sit and we also it includes cleaning and walking and loving and in relationships it includes life but it is a deep teaching and what love and it builds love within us because we stop judging we stop rejecting we stop hating because we all are filled, in my view, with tremendous amount of love and compassion. That is, the, that is who we are, everyone. And as you said, I mean, what's also going on also is this monkey mind, you can call it the conditioned mind. All the different traditions have a different name for it. But what it is, there is a force that says, no, always looks what's wrong. What's wrong with me? What's wrong with you? That hates love. It, it seems to hate it. It's op- oppositional to it. Right. It tries to distract us. It, it, it's like a spider web. Grabs you into this web. You know, one of your sentences, there is a universal sense in all of us of having lost something precious in life. That's true. And of trying to return to the place where we hope it exists. This universal sense that we've lost something, I, I think... Most of what our show last week was about was that people are trying to get a love that they feel they lost instead of getting a love that they can have right now. Absolutely. There is such a deep emptiness, beautifully put sense of loss. I want to go back to a stage where I was loved or I found someone who loved me briefly. The point, of course, is in this work that the real love we're not going to find it outside ourselves yes we're searching for it in relationships and that doesn't mean we're not going to be expressing and sharing wonderful love in relationships we are but it's like when you feel i've got to get the right person i've got to grab that person i've got to hold them i have to control them that's what we call counterfeit love that's that's the monkey mind another word for the monkey mind that is what destroys real love See, there's a confusion. I think there's a massive confusion about what love is and where to find, and how plentiful it is. <laughs> and, and, and that the more you give it, the more you have it. You are it. You have to open those doors in your own heart and let that real love, I mean, not counterfeit love. And, and so it's important to differentiate, I think, between the two. Very, very important. And your work as a therapist, I know you're not being a therapist now, you're writing these terrific books, but in your work as a therapist, was there a point where, you know, there was a similar theme? Everybody goes through a process of being disappointed that it's no longer there and they're trying to get it back and they feel guilty that they can't get it back and they're fixated on trying to get it back. And Perfect. Yes, 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 yes. That's universal. Okay. Over and over, you hear people say, oh, my God, it was so great in the beginning. We loved each other so much. We were so happy. What did I do wrong? How did I fail? Yes. Where did the love go? And and sometimes they're scared to be in another relationship. Often they are. Other times they go into what we call the repetition compulsion, and they keep having one after another desperate to get to that. What they don't realize is that they that, that was not love, what they were experiencing before. It was infatuation, excitement, maybe a fantasy fulfilled. Oh, I've got the perfect person now. Everything's going to be great. You know, that's yes. a fantasy, we, a longing, a fantasy we all have. Oh, now finally I'm worth something. I have someone who loves me, which is so sad. 
we don't feel we're worth anything if we don't have that person who many, many different things it is, but it's not love. So when we segue into what actually love is, we don't have to go through, in my view, a whole psychoanalytic I think that process can be more damaging, frankly, at this stage in my life than another process, which would be, let's go right to love. Mm-hmm. Let's go right to that part that loves and, and feed it and live it and learn what it is and how to respond in love, no matter what's coming at you, no matter what seems to be coming at you. Because, because what's coming at you has nothing to do with you. It has to do with that other person's projections or right. their hurt. And we think, oh, I hurt them so much. Oh, my God. The, the, the trips people put each other on. Yeah. Just, so I, I just want to put out to the audience, come on, folks. We're all in this together. You know? I mean, take an assessment of yourself right now. It, the reasons I don't love right now in my life, the reasons... I have really good reasons. I bet you my reasons are better than your reasons. I bet you I have the best reasons of all of why I don't love this week or this day. You know, but I think, I'm making light of this, but I do I do think, you know, when people get into this disappointment and, yeah. you know, the spiral of guilt and shame and fear and everything about the love g- going away and being missing – that they hold out, you know, that they, they become proud and like, I'm not going to budge. And I, ha- and I have all these great reasons for not loving. But the thing is, they also don't know very much what love really is. That's the point. They're trapped in a kind of, they still are. The minute you know what it really is, you can intervene. You can take an act of love, a deed of love, and do it and break that whole cycle, at least within your own heart. And, and they think, well, that person didn't give me what I wanted, or they, they, they betrayed me, or they hurt me. But you know what? That love isn't about using someone to make you feel good about yourself. That's not love. Mm. Love is, as I say, this coming workshop coming up, real generosity. This is not my words. It's Trumper, Chaim Trumper's words. Okay. Uh-huh. Real generosity is allowing the other to be who they are. See, the, what we use our relationships for, do we? that's counterfeit love. That's monkey mind. Do we use them to make me feel good about me? Do we use them to reject someone else? I don't like you. I don't yeah, love you anymore. Right. Well, you know, you might not like them, but you can still be loving toward them, and that you'll feel wonderful then, and the like and dislike will fade away. One, we have different interventions. I don't like to use that word, but they are in the middle of when this is going on, you stop and in your mind, you bow to them. You say, thank you for being my teacher and what it means to love. And you could also say, I grant you the right to be who you are. Mm-hmm. Or you say to yourself, how may I serve you? Mm-hmm. That's an act of love. How may It's beautiful. How may I serve you? Rather than go along with their monkey mind productions, right? And and, and you could even ask them that out loud. What what, what is it you want from me? Mm-hmm. But but not in a mocking way, but really listening. Sometimes there's no way you could give it, but just by being present, listening, asking. That's that's what they crave. That is an act of love. I want to ask the audience if if they practiced. 
this past week. <laughs> I shared the anecdote of actually having an experience with a, a client in a session that this gentleman, Joe, from Salem, Massachusetts, referred to, and that it dropped in for me this sense of, oh, he's really teaching me how to love. He was talking yeah. about you know, his ex-wife and their handling of their child. And, and I just, Brenda, just by being exposed to you before the show last week and hearing, like, everybody is my teacher, I realized it just dropped in as I was sitting there. And so yeah. I think we said last week for everybody to practice out there. Go ahead, practice. It, it's Look. all practice because, you know, nobody's going to turn into this angel flying around. <laughs> What's going to happen is you're going to get stirred up. But the question is, how are you going to respond to that? I also felt the reverberations of the show last week in my practice. Suddenly, everybody's talking about Zen. <clears throat> my <laughs> clients are spontaneously finding books on Zen to help them out of their mishigas. <laughs> we'll use that word. It's really touched me this week. Like I really, I was really trying to feel into it myself with each client and just kind of feeling the energy in the room change and my sense of, you know, myself in the world feeling a little more at ease. And, mm -hmm. and I felt much more sort of willing to reach out. I had been feeling a bit, you know, this January has been kind of dark and lonely and <laughs> disturbing. And so I finally, it just reached out. Now I've got all these plans with friends. <laughs> it's pretty wild. It's like, okay, we can just do this. We can just move into that space. Thank you, Nasima. That's so beautiful. That really, now I feel so touched. Look how we all touch each other. We do need one another as inspirations. You know, it's just that's called Sangha in Zen, the group of people who are practicing together. A kind, you know, it's gorgeous. We're doing because a kind of Zen uh, Sangha with uh, Brenda Shoshana <laughs> on Sunday uh, okay. that you can. Connect with it, simplelawsoflove.com, from 1 to 2.30 New York time, Eastern time. Simple Laws of Love. I want to read another person I uh, who emailed us at tffpp.org. I think it will be impossible to feel loving towards my mother. It is so hard being her daughter. She is so demanding, and I feel like she doesn't even see me. I feel like I'm walking into the lion's den when I walk into a room that she's in. I want to feel a connection. I've wanted that for so long. Please, can you help me? This is from Susan in Louisville. Uh, That's so beautiful. Thank you for reading that. You know, I love when we make it real, a real person's life. And certainly, we all can relate to her experience. We've all had people in our lives like that. Yeah. So this is not to pretend there isn't pain. Or that it doesn't hurt. Or, but what I want to say to you, Susan, is that the love you're longing for is in you, and you can access it at any moment. You don't need it from your mother. And, and so when you're there with her, when you're accessing that love inside of you and not going along with the lion, <laughs> with whatever's going on mm. in that den, but just staying in your consciousness and your love, it will change how you feel deeply and it could also alter her. I don't want to make that the reason you do it because that's a hook, that's a trap. We just do it. So you can look at your mother and just within your own mind respond differently. How may I serve you? 
or if this was the last time I was ever going to see you in my life today, how would I feel? Like just go into your own mind. Mm. Whatever she's saying, you can hear it, but don't respond in your mind. Don't engage in that dialogue. Engage in a dialogue within with these practices. I wonder also, Brenda, if a child like feels guilty about not loving their parent and mm-hmm. that the guilt is actually what prevents them from loving them the way they are now. So, you Absolutely. know, so with Susan, I'm like, can you allow Susan that maybe, you know, you don't love your mother the way you think you're supposed to love your mother. You can be loving towards your mother and send love to your mother. But it sounds like, you know, maybe she's w- wanting something from her mother. And so she can't love her because the mother isn't giving it to her. That's exactly right. And we're going to work on that this Sunday. Each one of us is responsible for contacting that love inside ourselves. You know, it's not about getting approval from your mother. It's not about her being the way you want her to be. Oh, I'll love you if you do this or if you're that way. If not, I'm going to reject. That's not love. That's really using another to make you feel good. In this practice, you can feel good. You must feel good. You are good. And guilt is basically, we, we, we beat ourselves up with guilt, and we think we've done something to pay off something wrong we've done. But guilt just makes us feel, as Kevin said, worse, more closed in. It doesn't accomplish a thing, <laughs> nothing, right. nothing. I mean, it's better to make, if there's something that, that actually happened that you did, you feel was incorrect. When you don't have guilt, you just make a correction. You I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to hurt you. I'm so sorry. But I didn't mean to do this. I'm so sorry. And you correct it. That's productive. But guilt prevents us from being productive yeah. and being positive. It's from the monkey mind. It's from that counterfeit part of ourselves but but the basic thing susan has to turn around her consciousness and focus on her own self offering love and when you offer love to another it comes back to you it takes the pain away no matter who they are or how they feel and they really cannot hurt you then they can't hurt you because if you're really truly just wanting to accept them and wish them well when I was little, an experience, something like what Susan's describing, and it's something that was always very, very painful and frightening. And I had a great blessing and gift of, of love washing through me. Okay. And when it happened, I was with this person, and I looked at him, and I said, oh, my God, he's like a little baby playing. He's much, much younger. He was older than me. He's much younger than me. He's like a baby playing, screaming and yelling. I saw him as a child, desperate, not knowing what to do. My whole perception of him changed. It was a very radical and beautiful experience. And he immediately calmed down. He immediately looked at me and he saw I wasn't buying into this whole, because I really perceived the whole thing so differently. And it was incredibly helpful. I wanted to say with all of that, you know, that, this is an example of just one of the obstacles that can get in the way of loving, wanting mom to treat me the way, give me this thing that I'm holding out for. And actually that's going to get in the way of me loving mom, sending love her way and actually get what it is I actually need in the, in the long run anyway. So it's like keep beating against a dead horse. 
That's right. And, and you know, we think we're going to, we want, when mom changes and smiles at me, then I'll finally be happy. Right. You won't. You won't. You'll want it again an hour later, and then she won't smile. And maybe she has heartburn, and her upset has nothing to do with you. You know, maybe something else is going on in her, but you're going to keep it to me, to me, to me. But that's mm-hmm. not love, by the way. When you do that, that's an attack on someone, basically. Yeah. Yeah. We need to sort of pause a little bit because it's quite radical. I I know a couple, my one client was kind of confused but very open to this idea because I think we're so conditioned into this transactional kind of love that really is about love and worth and all these things and feel like oh my gosh this is big this is this is different than anything a lot of people have heard before. I think it might also be really challenging because somehow it's so ingrained that we have to have this kind of transaction in order to feel or be loved. Or and I when do. You, and, I need this. Well, yeah, or I need it or, you know, it's just I'm kind of thinking of the collective on a certain level. So I just can see how we've gotten so trapped. That's very beautiful what you just said. I completely agree. And you know what also – people don't really know who they are. So they get so attached to this identity and the story. Oh, I was never loved. I'm a victim. I, I have a right that not to love back. They get so attached to some kind of a, a, a false identity, right. or something they've made up. And if my, oh my God, if I could really be happy and really love, it, it might be terrifying, the idea. All these all these years. As another person who wrote us, your show got me thinking about how the pain of the not love, the counterfeit love, is actually a complete association with love, that pain is love. So Brenda is saying that it's just a practice in the mind to get rid of that association. The pain is an addiction. The That's not right. love is the not love of yourself. And it, well, this is pretty deep. And it's not necessarily that you must love yourself before loving someone else. Maybe you are in not love with someone who also <laughs> doesn't love themselves. And you are both in not love together. <laughs> I, I, and then she writes, I was, oy vey. <laughs> 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 I could read there. I don't know. Because, I love this. Because that was, suge- that was suggested it only takes one person in a relationship to change the relationship. That your loving of yourself can actually energetically transfer to the other. And it helps them love themselves. My brain is going to explode because this is the first time I've tried to understand this. Wow. So How fascinating. It's a great, great comment she made. You know, when we say, I'm going to love myself, yes, that can become like this narcissistic thing. You know, I've got to love me. But who is the self? We include everyone. <laughs> so rather than love yourself, just love. Just love with no conditions. And you are not only loving yourself, but exactly what she said, those vibrations are going to go out all over the place. And it does change relationships. The point is, I think that the real problem is, is that most people have never really been taught what love is. As Nassina said, it is not transactional. It's not transactional. It's, it's, It's who we are. And the more you are willing to drop the story and just try some of these interventions, they're very simple. They take a moment. 
like say if you're doing the, a dance, ballroom dancing, say someone's doing the tango and you start doing the foxtrot. <laughs> that's all that's needed. Step into love. Step into love. and But you have to discover first the difference between real love and counterfeit love. That's a very important exploration. And then you create, I mean, I'm offering a bunch of interventions, but there are many more you'll find for yourself too that will bring forth in you a new way of looking at it and a way of just seeing love. You know, once we blame others, if we feel hurt, we blame them, it's their fault, or they blame us. It's very painful to be blamed, horrible, terrible, terrible. When we're blamed, we'll do anything to correct it, or we feel guilty, or we hate ourselves. Especially if we we catch the person and they start blaming us, join them. I'm wondering if we could really simplify it before we go to our break. Love is a verb, not a noun. <laughs> you know, like people say, oh, when I get my car, when I get love, then I'll be a nice person. When I get my car or my chair or whatever, like love is when I actually love, when I do the loving, you know, then who knows what will happen. But I, th- right. I think most a lot of people hang out in this space like love is a noun, like you, love like you owe me love. <laughs> Deeds of love, right? Hundred percent. It's actions, actions, and it doesn't mean being a goody goody necessarily. Oh, right. I'm going to show how good person I am. No, it means in the moment, in the interaction, take charge of what you're feeling and thinking. Go within, see the person as your teacher, send them love. You're you're always suggesting a kind of fullness is available, Brenda, as opposed to the the poverty or deprivation or or you know hollow feeling of not loving. That if you get into this verb of love and loving, that your fullness will be there. Just it will. I I see that about you every time I see you. That you just fill every space you can with love. I just hear and see that from you all the time. We're going to take our break, and we will be back after this with Dr. Brenda Shoshana, the author of Zen and the Art of Falling in Love. We'll be right back.
Dr. Brenda Shoshana talking about her book, Zen and the Art of Falling in Love. You know, one of the quotes in your book, all of us say we want to find love. Most of us spend the bulk of our time creating separation between ourselves and others. Isn't that true? 100%. Don't we have to get, like, we have to get ourselves straight before we're ready for love or ready to for the other person to be ready for love. But it turns out that, you know, we're addicted kind of to separation and yet secretly hoping, oh, I, all I want is to love. All I want is somebody to love me. I, basically, I, all I want to do is be full. I want to be filled up. And, and you say something else in the book that it's only through deprivation that we really know what good food is, what is nourishing food. So talk a little bit about Zen as a way of getting ready for love. Well, uh, at, in, at this particular moment, I, I don't think we have to get ready. I think we are love. However, I do think that we are caught in a very strong delusion. As you beautifully put it, we're longing for love and creating separation at the same time. We're terrified of, of really being there unguarded, open, giving to another person. It's all, as you said, it's all about me, 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 make me full, fill me up, yes. make me feel good. But that's not love. That's a self-absorption. That's the monkey mind. That's a, that's a self-centered fixation. And that's not what real love is. So it'll only in the long run make you very unhappy. I kind of now being exposed to this work that you do and, and reading the book and that it's so rampant that this is basically how people are functioning. But I think it's really, in the context of your work, a default setting that in the absence of me knowing how to love, be loving, do loving, uh, I'm going to be in my default setting, which is that I'm going to cling to the absence of love. Very well put. Very, very well put. I love that. The, the uh, absence of love. And then people scream, fight, hate. And they create these these beautiful scenarios. I'm a martyr. I'm a victim. I yes. give so much. Nobody wants what I have to give. And on and on. My, I failed in my... Now, you know, by the way, people say I failed in my relationship. No relationship. You can't possibly fail. You cannot fail. Something ends at the time it's supposed to end. I mean, if you view that person again as your teacher and what it means, well, you learned what you had to. You shared what you had to. The relationship transformed. 
no, no, no relationship just disappears. It's all these very odd ways that we view things that torments us. And we are tormented, there's no question. It's we, we are tormented by our perceptions, not by the absence of love, by the absence of truth, by the absence of reality. Yes, yes. That's what the torment is. And that's what they say in Zen, you know, Maya, the world of illusion. We live in the world of illusion. My teacher used to say, we are delusion beings. And that doesn't mean he wasn't also at times. Yes, of course. You know, you know we are. We are. We're, 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 we're born in the world of delusion. And then we suffer from that. But we also are filled with what they say, Buddha nature, which is the enlightened mind, the mind of love, both clarity, awareness, so Nasima has some things to share because um, there is a part in the book, the, the, the beginning ground for people like in Zen is to sit down and to watch your thoughts, watch what comes to your mind. The very early stages, you sit in a certain posture, you watch your breathing in the beginning and not the thoughts. They come and they go. You just let them come and go like clouds in the sky. You'll see what they are, but you ne- but you don't dwell on them. You don't try to stop them. You don't pay attention to them. Right. You're, you're pulling the, actually you're pulling the energy away from them because your attention is energy. You're taking the steam away. You're giving the steam, the energy to your breath, which is so precious. Breath. But in the context of loving. Wouldn't it be helpful to, I think you put this in the book, Dashina Sima, about looking at my patterns, looking at the patterns that I have used to either avoid love or have love. Well, in this this section of the book, it's in chapter two, you go through five steps, right? Five steps of starting to understand yourself, start to meet yourself, start to notice the patterns of your relating. So yeah, you start with just sitting down and trying to count your breaths. So I said trying to count your breaths, because I have tried this practice. And the first time you get through maybe five, 10 breaths, you feel like, yes, I did it. And then you go back to one again. And I found I have never left one, <laughs> one, and then all my thoughts would start one. And then all, I just, it, uh-huh. it was like, it was like, I'm not getting by one. I could only count one breath. And then the thoughts would just come rushing. This is a very important point. Let me, I'm glad you brought it up. And please let me, let me respond to it. First of all, when we sit, never sit to get anywhere. So whatever happens is fine. It's perfect. My teacher who was sitting at the time when he started in a monastery six hours a day, it took him five years to get from one to 10 without (laughs) getting interrupted by thoughts. So that's an important point. And getting nothing wrong with getting interrupted. That's fine. We're getting interrupted. We're getting interrupted. That's fine. But we don't dwell on the thoughts to recognize our patterns. We're not analyzing. Or see, Zen is never about analyze. You will notice your patterns. You'll notice it peripherally. You'll become aware of it. But if not, I'm going to analyze it. I'm going to change it. No, no, no. See, we let go of that activity on the cushion. We allow whatever comes up to come up. Now, Inevitably, as you sit there and sit there, certain patterns keep repeating, and we will definitely know that they're there, but we don't look for them or analyze them or try to change them. We don't. We just sit with it and welcome it, and, 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 and we don't pay attention to it. That's the big part. We take our attention 
back to the breath over and over, which means to life, to the part of ourselves that knows everything, to the part of ourselves that loves naturally, that has the answers and the wisdom. It's not in the brain where we're looking for something. And we, but we will, of course, as we do this practice, see things, you know, just the way I see a sunny day. You'll, you'll be aware of it, but, but you, that's the heart of your life doesn't go in the head. It goes in, in the stomach, actually, mm -hmm. your, your, your heart beneath your navel and you, and your breathing. Beautiful. So if you get the first part right, that's all you need. <laughs> and the thing is this, if you, when you sit, the basic thing is you don't move during the sitting. Right. If you have a lot of pain, you don't move. If you want to scratch your nose, you do not. Oh, <laughs> and boy. as long as the sitting goes, that's it. You, Whatever comes, you experience it. I see. Then when the sitting is ended, you get up, you bow, and you walk, and then you come back for another sitting. So you develop an ability not to be like, like monkey mind. Everything that it costs you, you respond to. It's funny. You can have a lot of pain during the sitting, and all of a sudden it leaves. And then all of a sudden it comes, like life, like life. But we don't try to push it away. We don't try to analyze it. We don't try to make it better. Right. And from this step of just sitting and counting your breaths, you go into notice your repetitive patterns. So you're talking about that. Like, as I'm sitting and these thoughts are coming, I notice their their thoughts about work or their thoughts about stressful situations right. or their thoughts about food or whatever it is. Noticing that, noticing your repetitive patterns. And maybe, maybe you could even notice your repetitive patterns throughout the day. I had a thought as you were talking, like, have a little notebook and say, oh, I'm feeling... No, 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 don't, no, 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 don't do that. Don't, you don't want to dwell on them. You don't want to make them okay. important okay. because it's these repetitive patterns that are causing the pain. Brilliant. Right. I love so that. They're, they're coming up and the more you're aware of them, the more, the weaker they become. Right. Weaker and weaker because they can operate when you're not aware, when they're coming in your unconscious. But so you don't want to do, you, you don't have to do anything about them. Just noticing them will diminish them. They're not real. They're not real. Yeah. It's kind of like, oh, this visitor again. Here, here comes you, anger again. Here comes, you know. You could say it, but I, you, I, I wouldn't know. You don't even want to label even. it. Okay. You don't want to label yeah. it because when you label something, you make it real. You give it a reality. And it comes around, it sticks around. Yeah. No, I like it this. Comes, I, and then it leaves. It can't, and then, you know, at a certain point, as you're watching and watching, you can see through the thoughts what they really are. See, usually... They're much stronger than we are. They grab us. We believe them. Mm -hmm. We act on them. And as soon as you see what they are, they have much less power over you. Now, what about observing when you're sitting the patterns that you have in your relationship, in your relationship with love and loving? Is this part of a Zen practice, Brenda? Well, yeah, whatever comes up, whatever's supposed to come up, comes up. Okay. Whatever you, you see, whatever comes up. And you don't move and you let it come and you let it go. You don't give it this big, heavy weightedness. And it's a very interesting thing because my teacher, Son Roshi, one of the things he said was, most of us cannot digest our lives. With so many stimuli from inside, from outside, we don't know what to make of anything. But when you sit, what you're really doing is digesting your life. It comes up right. and, and then you can take the nourishment and discard the waste but but you don't do it. It's the body. You don't 
take the nourishment from your meal, from your food. You don't know how to do that. And how to go to the bathroom. You don't know how to do that. It's done, right? You don't know how to get yourself hungry and this and that. Same thing with your thoughts and your experiences. So the next step in this process, you say in your book, is to ask the question, who is sitting there? And this is quite a question. I've I've had an experience like this where we sat for three days, basically trying to answer with each other who who am I? Who is in? Who's who is sitting here? It's it's a it's a remarkable process. But I'd, I'd love for you to talk a little bit more about that. Like, well, that that really is a koan from the Zen the, the perspective of Zen practice. It could take twenty years. It could happen in a few days, whatever. But you work on that with your teacher. In this practice, you you have a teacher. You need if you're going to do koan study, especially you do need a teacher to guide you with it. And and it's very very important also to have a group, some kind of a sangha to sit with. It's it's a committed practice that you keep working on day in and day out. And or and they have retreats and different 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 aspects of it, but. When you work on that koan, what comes for you, you work on that with your teacher and, and, and he responds. And it's in the response between the two of you that you go, the next event happens or does, whatever, whatever it is. It's not something people really talk about out loud, what happens between them and their teacher when they're working on a koan, because you want to keep it within. It's energy that's building. But what's the benefit of a question like that? a tremendous benefit what it does they say it's funny i have a whole other book called zen play it's about making your life into a koan the benefit of working on a koan is that a koan really works on you what it does is it shoves you out of your rational mind and because we make all of life a problem and a koan looks like a problem but it's a ridiculous problem can can you give an example of one like what what would be an example of a koan well, uh, one of them is, of course, who are you is a big koan, but there's another one. Show me your face before your parents were born is a very Show famous me your koan. face before your parents were born. Oh, boy. That's, that's a koan. <laughs> another one is, uh, what is the very famous one? What is the sound of one hand clapping? They go against I see. logic. They go against, you can, and people, of course, try right. to figure it out with their rational mind. And the teacher rings the bell, no, leave, go, 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 keep working, keep working. The purpose of it, there's a very good instruction on working with koans. And it is, you sit with the koan like a mother hen sitting on her nest with little chicks. You just keep those chicks warm. The koan is a little chick or who you are as a little chick. You sit on that, just keeping it warm. You're, you don't try to push it to get born, to click through. You you don't leave it. You don't interfere. You just sit with it and keep it warm. And suddenly when the time is right, boom, those little chicks or the answers or the insights, they pop through by themselves and something new is born inside of you. Who is sitting there? I think we were talking before about how it helps you start to recognize that person you've been missing. Like, as we said before, like, you've lost something, you've lost a sense of yourself. And this koan specifically, I think, helps you, you mentioned, it helps you really feel like who you are. It may or it may not. Mm-hmm. It's each person a koan takes in a different direction. That's the beauty of Zen. There's no rules. And there's no, there's no set answers and there's no set 
Each person has their own process and each process is perfect for that person. Isn't that wonderful? Yeah. It's it so wonderful because we're always trying to fit into the rules or into a process. No, you have to trust a bigger process going on inside of you and in the world and, and it takes over. So let's let's return to relationships because this is our Valentine's gift to our audience. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and simplelawsoflove.com is the way to get in touch with Brenda and see the workshop if you can't on this Sunday participate from 1 to 2:30 see it at the simplelawsoflove.com. You say relationships are a spiritual practice. Yes. Yes, 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 yes. So we're going through sitting, what you need to do when you're sitting, seeing your patterns, just getting into the practice of Zen. And then, wait, my whole life, my whole life can be a Zen practice. It is. Oh, it is. And I, that all the Zen scripts would say that 100%. Of course, of course. I mean, the purpose of Zen practice isn't just to sit on the cushion forever. It's to inform your your life and your relationships and how you do everything. Of course. Absolutely. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. And, and, and in my practice of relationships to spiritual practice, it's not just for Zen people. It's for everyone. You don't have to do Zazen practice to, to do this. Up the practice of love. It's nice if you do. It's wonderful, but it's not. It's not required. In this, in viewing all your relationships as spiritual practice, what's required is to really learn and know the laws of love, what they really are. And they're pretty what simple. Means, and they're pretty simple. So they're very simple. What it means to honor. There's a beautiful one that's. They, they come from all the great scriptures. One says, "Who is honored? We all want to be honored." And the answer is, "He who honors others." How beautiful. And so we want to live that. Yeah. The practice of love is three times a week. Let's honor someone and let's explore what does it really mean to honor another person? How beautiful, right? We're mostly obsessed with being honored and respected. How wonderful to honor someone. I love that particularly because it feels really good when you do it. Yes. Here you are, you want it for yourself, but it's, so what if you get it? You feel funny. It, but when you give it, oh, my God, you feel full of such a good feeling. And then you begin to look at everyone through those eyes. That's a great – you don't have to sit on the cushion to do that. Right. This is the way, by the way, to get full, like you mentioned, that this yes. will achieve a fullness. So if you're hanging on to somebody bringing it to you, if you're just honoring people that you're with, the fullness will just come to you. It will, 100%. A hundred percent. Brenda, we couldn't we couldn't leave our discussion without you telling us this part of the book about the beginning of relationship. That that tells so much about relationship. Yeah. I agree, but what what do you mean by it? And, and, and you mean in that book and Zen and the Art of Folding? Yes. I think I, I I meant that as soon as you see each other. <laughs> People know right away what's going to happen. <laughs> People sometimes fall in love right away or or they right away, they say in the first five minutes <laughs> okay. that you're, you're brought together to work things out. Most relationships come from some, a, a, I call it a divine appointment. That's what I would call mm. it. I, I, they're not random. If you're going to really become connected to someone and we're talking about a relationship like where you're a partner or a friend or a deep yes. relationship, not somebody you're just passing in the street. 
there's a reason you've come together to learn something, yes. to share something, to receive, to give something. Again, that person is your teacher in what it means to love. That's for sure. So most of us, we, we don't see who the person really is. And, and we don't allow ourselves to really recognize the first five minutes, you know, what, what we're yes, getting. Right. We don't recognize, we push it away and we go into our fantasies. Again, the monkey mind, what I want this, this is my ideal parent that I never had. Oh, I'm going to finally get the love I never had. I'm going to be very proud to show all my girlfriends this great guy that I right. got. <laughs> <laughs> and you're not aware part. you're doing all of these things. It's just going on unconsciously. Yeah. And so it's so important, yes, to sp pay, pay attention to these five minutes, to what happened yeah. when you first met each other. What were you feeling? What were you not feeling? What were you? What, what were you knowing? Yeah, you, you know what are you feeling? knowing? What are you knowing? What are you knowing? And then the spiritual practice will begin because now you're going to confront all the things that you thought you were attracted to each other for and you find out right. it was something else that was going on that made you attracted to each other. Absolutely. And I just want to say one thing. Relationships are the biggest, biggest teaching you can get. They're hard. Yeah. They're a teaching. It brings up all your clinging, all your ego, all your needs, all your anger. Uh, I, very often it's not an anger at this person, but the anger at your parents or whomever. Everything gets projected onto that person you're close to. It's very important to have tools and skills to navigate this, I would say. Very, very, very important. People just jump in. <laughs> they just jump like nothing is going to happen. And there was a quote from your from your book, which you said, you know, it's like, let them come and let them go. Let him come, let her come, and let her go, let him go when it's time. I mean, like you said, there's something you're working out together, and maybe it gets worked out. Maybe it doesn't. Maybe, you know, it's like, but it's just what's happening. That's right. Right? And it may not get worked out. You know, there's, there's a beautiful uh, intervention with can I allow the relationship to be what, what it was? Can I allow it to have how it turned out the way it did? That's a beautiful one. Right. That's beautiful because we torture ourselves and others by how it turned out. It didn't turn out the way I wanted it. Okay, so can you, that's a beautiful, grant him or her the right to be who they are. And can you allow it to turn out the way it did? doesn't mean you failed. It doesn't mean you were bad. It doesn't mean you missed the mark. It means this was an experience that you needed to have that you had. Can you just allow it to be the way it is right now? That takes away so much control and clinging and rage. That's a loving act. That's a loving, that's very loving. Then you kind of, you, okay, you're not going to blame anyone. This is how, it, or, and not going to blame yourself either. I had an experience with a client today where it was, it just became so clear that the anxiety she felt about this person was blocking the love she had. You know, the anxiety about, am I going to lose her? Is she going to get hurt? Well, all these things. Let's go to the love. <laughs> Let's That's just right. drop into your love and maybe everything will be okay. It will be okay. You know, just even a statement like that is dropping into love. Allow, you know, to allow it to work out as it does. 
we're not in control. We're not an ultimate. Then you can even love them very much. And maybe you're not even married or together anymore. You can even love them more. And you can be, even if you don't see them, they'll get that love. But I just wanted to say, we were talking about ending relationships. Relationships do not end. They transform. They can't end. All, all we can do is offer that space, the appreciation. Thank you for being in my life. But I mean, a really a heartfelt thank you. Thank you for the time we share. And sometimes it's very painful too, because you really wanted it to turn out different. I'm not denying the pain of it. Even while you're feeling the pain, not to repress the pain, to feel it, you can still understand. Thank you. Thank you for the time we shared. I can allow everything to be the way it was. I'm not going to blame you and take away that love. Well, we want to thank you, Brenda. We have about two or three minutes left. But we do want to thank you for bringing all of this to us in preparation for Valentine's Day. I recommend giving the book as a Valentine. Spray it in brown with chocolate, make it look chocolate, whatever. But give the book a great Valentine's gift, Zen and the Art of Falling in Love. We, we couldn't leave without talking about the word art in falling in love. The, the, you talk about the three poisons and that the real art of love is knowing how to manage these three poisons as they show up in my relationship. So we only have about two minutes. When that pain comes up, not to repress it, not to, not, not to analyze it, not to grab it, not to try to stop it, just to see it like a cloud and return to love. In Zazen, we return to our breath. But in this practice, we, in our mind, even though we're feeling the pain, we'll say thank you for being my teacher and what it means to love. You know, I grant you the right. We'll, we'll replace it with an act, as you very well said, of love. And we, and all you have to be just work on your own way of perceiving it. Don't worry about how the other person will perceive it because you have no control over it. So the, the three poisons are greed, anger, and delusion. Greed could be selfishness, anger, hate, you know, whatever. And delusion is this mask, this thing that we're always fighting in ourselves, fighting against, trying to get beyond all of my delusions. Managing these within the relationship is really the art of being in relationship. Well, and, 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 not, and not letting them run you, but choosing love. Right. There's a, a beautiful teaching in scripture which says, I give you two choices. I choose life or death. And I say choose life. And that's also choose love because love is life. And love is life. Fantastic. <laughs> fantastic. Uh, I'm a believer, Brenda. You turned me on to loving, and love is a verb. And so Brenda is doing a workshop this Sunday, uh, February 13th, at simplelawsoflove.com, simplelawsoflove.com, from 1 to 2.30. i got to thank you again, Brenda. This is terrific. It's great to have you and to be with both of you. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So we would like to thank our affiliates, WBTV, WFMP, WRWK, KCSB, KPEJ, KYGT, and The Detour 
for their continued support and airing our show. Also, we'd like to thank our producer, Connie Shannon, our chief engineer, Jeff Brady. You can contact us at tffpp.org with questions, comments, or suggestions for the show. We'd love to have your comments. You can also find our podcast on most podcast platforms, The Positive Mind. Bye-bye for now, folks. We'll see you next week. 